don't think we've turned up for the dance, but we're here. We're going to do this together. <laughs> this is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. The hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded me. It's the Gospel of the Lord. Well, it's Good Shepherd Sunday. Can you tell? <laughs> It's exciting. I guess, I guess, happy birthday, Good Shepherd. Um, and I, gosh, it's what a great passage, right? I am the Good Shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Voluntarily lays his life down, even. And that's not really what we're used to, I think, most of the time. Like, we are kind of used to grasping, right? There's a, for those of you who watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer, perhaps you will remember this scene. Uh, there's a moment um, when Buffy, our hero, the Vampire Slayer, has met another Slayer, and they're out hunting or something, I don't remember exactly the situation, and the, the other Slayer is saying to her, we're special. We're better than those other people. We're stronger. We're smarter. We can just take what we want. We can do whatever we want, because we're the ones who protect all those, all those sheep. And then she says, this other slayer says, want, take, have. And Buffy goes, boom, want, And she does. She breaks into the store and she steals some weapons and they go off into things. That feeling, I'm different. It's okay if I do it. I'm better. I suspect you might see people out in the world. Maybe it feels like that to you. If we're honest, we do that too. We have that feeling within us. But I want to take have it. Maybe it's tiny. Maybe it's a paper clip from the office. But maybe it's something much bigger, right? And we don't want to be honest with ourselves about it because it's really unpleasant. We think things are scarce around us. We have this perception of the world that there's not enough scarcity and that we deserve to have the good things. We've worked hard. And to be fair, we do work on generosity. We are compassionate. We often succeed at those things. But our propensity to take what we want and even to ruin people's lives in order to get it and not even see that that's what we're doing, oof. This is what we call sin. We 
say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. Okay, Alice, what a downer. Isn't it Easter? Isn't it Good Shepherd Sunday? What are you doing? Aren't you glad to be back in the sanctuary? I am. I really, really am. Also, I'm me. This is where we are. What do we say about the Good Shepherd? Jesus is the Good Shepherd in a world that's full of COVID and violent racism and climate crisis and, and fear. I was talking to some clergy friends the other day, and uh, we were kind of just checking in about what our churches are doing, how, how everybody's feeling, and a couple different people brought up, they said, our parishioners are telling us how scared they are. And it's, and it's weird, like, some of it is, is specifically COVID-related, like, are we okay? Is this, how are we really doing out there? And some of it's just, we haven't been around each other. What's it really going to be like to actually be, I mean, like, you're so close, man. <laughs> like, one of, the, one of the clergy people actually said that he was walking down the street, um, and it was, he was outside, and he was masked and the whole bit, and he was walking towards somebody, and I guess she didn't notice him, and he just kind of looked up, and she, like, jumped out of his way, almost into traffic. And he was like, what is this, what is this fear? that we had about each other. We have it now compounded because of COVID, but it's been around. It's not new. The fires of these crises that we experience and all the ones that we've had before, they're stoked by our desire. So I want to teach you about a particular form of, of theology today. Theology lecture. Yay! <laughs> Mimetic theology. Anybody heard of it before? No? Great. Excellent. It's fun. It's actually super complex. I'm going to give you the simplified version, partly because I don't get the whole thing. But mimetic theology, all it means is the way we learn is by mirroring. So if you think about babies, they look at your mouth move and they go, and they start learning to talk because they're watching you, because they're listening, or they're repeating back, right? Um, or, I don't know, you learn to play baseball or whatever. You learn by watching. You mirror, right? We also do that with violence. We have to do that with sin. We see it around us, and whether we're aware of it or not, we mirror it back. We mimic. That's mimetic theology. Okay? And so we see um, what's around us, and we want it. And we see other people wanting and taking and having, and so we do the same thing. We learn by watching. And when there comes to be a crisis moment, when we're like, I want something that you also want, and we're kind of in a fight, what often happens is we end up getting a scapegoat. We choose somebody else to take the blame so that we don't have to feel that sense of I'm better or I want to have or I'm greedy or I'm sinful or whatever. It's somebody else's problem. might be Sandra in accounting who didn't return my email on time. Hopefully none of you are Sandra in accounting. Or it might be the Jews, or the Irish, or the Armenians, or pick their thing. Right? This is what happens. Jesus on the cross, in this mimetic theology, is the scapegoat. He's the one that the people said, we can't bear this pain any longer. Kill him. And we, that's still part of our theology. Jesus on the cross is not just the scapegoat in this format. He is also reflecting. It's called mirroring, right? He is also reflecting back to us 
what we do. This is like the visual, okay? Not necessarily talking about like the Passion of the Christ movie kind of thing, but there's a sense of when you think of him hanging there on the cross, sacrificing himself, the idea is that we are meant to see all the ways in which we do that to other people, to ourselves and to God. He's reflecting it back, saying, see this? See me? Y'all did this. Yes, guilt and shame, but like, y'all did this to all those other people. You see what I'm saying? He's a mirror to the pain that we cause. Okay? This is what we do to the body of Christ. That body. This body. Heavy stuff, I know. We're going to get to some good news, I promise. And this is sociology as well as theology. It's, it's a whole mix of things. If you want to read more, the guy's name is Rene Girard. He's French. Great stuff. It's just a lot. <laughs> uh, but look him up at some point. Jesus seems to be different, though. And I bet you know that. It's not just, let's kill this person and get rid of it. He changes things somehow. His death is different. Because all the other scapegoats, they were forced into it. They didn't have any choice in the matter. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus says, I don't want this. But he says, I'll do it. I will do this. If this is what's needed. If they need to see this. If this transformation is what needs to happen, I will do this. I choose to do this. And we always talk about, he's the innocent victim. Right? All of the victims are innocent. Side note. But we don't see that. When we scapegoat, we don't see the innocent. We only see get rid of the pain. Jesus of Nazareth was an innocent victim, and he changed what happened. He chose to sacrifice himself. Now, what's interesting is there's a lot of theologians who would also say, in addition to his choosing it, so you guys know there's a lot of like, tension in these things, right? He did choose it. Also, he had his life violently taken away by agents of the religious authority in the state. Like, they took him and killed him. There are lots of people who would say, and this is a, kind of a scary word, they would say he was lynched. How's that feel? It's both. He had his life taken and he gave it up at the same time. But it changes things. Jesus is not just showing, right? It's not just a performance. He's not just a mirror showing us all these things. He's breaking the hold on us. So this is, this is, I think, the key of this particular form of theology. You can walk away. He's saying that this, this scenario we find ourselves in, where we want, we take, we try to get what we want from other people, all this kind of stuff, we can just walk away. Remember the story of the woman caught in adultery? I think it's fairly early in Jesus' ministry, but he walks up and there's this woman who's about to be stoned to death by these men, and he's like, what's up, dudes? And they're like, we caught her in adultery, we're going to kill her. And he's like, cool. Um, maybe the first one of you guys who has sinned can throw the first stone. Not the first one. Whoever among you can throw the first stone. And then he kind of like crouches down. He draws on the ground, and I always wonder what he's drawing. And when he looks up, they're all gone. Because they've realized 
the way of violence is not the way. I don't get to reclaim my honor or the honor of my friend's husband or whatever the thing is. I don't get to take what I want with violence. There's another way. And that image of putting down the rock and walking away, that's what we're talking about. There's another story. Um, I think I've actually shared this story with you before, but it's so good. Uh, for those who like science fiction, Ursula K. Le Guin, so, so good. She wrote this story called The Ones Who Walk Away from Omelette. And it's basically this glorious society. These people are having the most wonderful festivals, the greatest possible food. The music just fills your soul. Can you imagine? Like the perfect scenario. Everything is so wonderful. And you hear in the corner of your ear, there's a reason why it's so good. Right? You never get it. You go and find out. Why is it so good? And you learn the reason everything is so good in this society there's one person who is bearing the weight of all the pain. One person. It is a child. And they've lost it in the end. And maybe you go see. You see that child. I won't go into the details because it's really sad. Some people go and they see this child and they say, I don't think, think, but it's just one person. It's okay. For all of us to have all this pain. I'll go back. Some people want to try to change it, and they can't. The system doesn't let them change it. But some people, they see this child, and they walk away. Out of the society, somewhere else. Don't know where they go. The way things are is not the way they have to be. That's what Jesus is saying and doing on the cross. The way you think it has to be, the way we have to be scarce and hold on to things and cling and take, it doesn't have to be that way. It can be something different. We made it this way. We get to change it. Maybe that sounds scary. Maybe that sounds like a lot of work. It is. But it's also an opportunity. It's possibility. It's excitement. We can put this stuff down and try something else. I don't know what it is for you that you cling to. I don't know what it is that's so deeply ingrained that, that if I say, like, what if we change it, you go, <gasps> inside. I, I don't know what that is. But I want to invite you to look at it. Like, look at it full on. Why is this thing so important? What about your desire for that thing might hurt other people? work to do and I get you every Sunday here. But it's good work. The good news, as I said, is that there is another way. The way that we've been going is not the way we have to be. There's a, another theologian who says we make the road by walking. I love that. It's not that there's a path that's laid out for us. It's that every step we make makes a new part of the road. Other people over here. So, I want to end today, or not to say this, but my sermon, by inviting you into an old favorite. It's Good Shepherd Sunday. I want us to say Psalm 23 together. Because I suspect 
that some of this last year has felt like the valley of the shadow of death. And maybe there's things that you see coming on your path that feel like the valley of the shadow of death. But there's goodness and there's mercy and your cup is running over. I don't have the words out in front of me, but I bet a lot of you know them. If you know the words, say them out loud. If you don't know them, just let it wash over you for a moment. This is the good news. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. He revives my soul and guides me along right pathways for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You spread a table before me in the presence of those who trouble me. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup is running over. Surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord 